In his providence, nothing is an accident, right? And that's exactly what we're looking at in paragraph, excuse me, chapter 5. Colossians 1.17, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Or other translations say, In him all things hold together. Sometimes we can say we understand that verse, but then when it comes to really fleshing that out, that's where the rubber meets the road a little bit, in that everything holds together in him. Like we saw last week, not just the big things, but the little things as well. Paragraph 4. Um, if you picked up one of the, the bigger sheets, it does have the, the paragraph of the confession. Paragraph 4 of chapter 5 is our focus this evening. It says, The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence that his determinate counsel extends itself even to the first fall and all other sinful actions, both of angels and men, and that not by a bare permission which also he most wisely and powerfully binds and otherwise orders and governs in a manifold dispensation to his most holy ends, yet so as the sinfulness of their acts proceeds only from the creatures and not from God, who being most holy and righteous neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin." Again, we, we, we've been kind of laying foundations. Chapter 1, looking at who God was and based upon who God is, these layers that we're building, but it all comes back to the character of God. We saw that the decree of God in chapter 3 was to command something. It was an official order. And then chapter 4 is that first official decree, seeing it fleshed out, that of creation. Chapter 5, looking at divine providence. Providence, by definition, we saw last week, is the act of providing provision, preparation, arrangement, chiefly in the phrase to make providence or to make provision. But another aspect of providence is not just the provision, but it's the foresight and looking ahead. The dictionary says, that it is prevision and anticipation of and preparation for the future. It's a timely care, hence prudent or wise arrangement, management, government, or guidance. And God guides not just in his providence, but he's looked ahead. He's planned ahead all things. John Calvin said at the outset, then let my readers grasp that providence means Not that which by God idly observes from heaven what takes place on earth, but that by which as keeper of the keys he governs all events. Tonight, I kind of, we're going back a little bit, but we're continuing on in paragraph four, because I want us to see how does God's decree and his providence work together. We saw that the decree of God is made in eternity past, but something has to happen in present. And so that is where providence comes into play. Providence is not another word for luck. As I read this week, chance is an atheist. 
Not speaking of chance as a human being, but happen chance is an atheist. It believes that there is no God. But we see that God is in control of all things. Last week we saw that everything, the big things and the little things, that God is in control of all of those things. And it is a great comfort knowing that nothing happens outside of his decree and how it works out in providence. So again, paragraph 4 is kind of taking from chapter 3 and paragraph 1 and kind of working them together. Thomas Watson says, God's decree orders all things that shall fall out. God's provision orders them. If, if you would kind of take a, a flow chart where you've got God's decree over here with an arrow, meaning the execution, how that happens, and you have providence. How does God's decree flesh itself out? It's through providence. It's seen, God's decree is seen in his works of providence. And it's kind of the way that his decree works out is that which we call providence. But notice what paragraph 4 says. It speaks of the, the decree kind of, it uses the phrase, his determinate counsel. It extends itself even to the first fall. We can kind of get our mind around that God is working all things together for good. The things that benefit me, that that help me out, right? But to say that in God's decree, and the working out of his providence, even brought about the first fall. Notice that the, the confession states, not by a bare permission... And that's where it even becomes more difficult. Well, God just stepped back and allowed the fall to happen. That, that can be somehow how we try to answer that. But God does not give bare permission. God does not give an open-ended allowance for man to do whatever. Not fully unrestricted. Or as one author says, autonomous free agency. Interestingly, on Tuesday, kids, what do we celebrate this coming Tuesday? Fourth of July, also known as Independence Day. Are you independent? No. No matter how great we are, we are still in in a state of dependence. That we don't stand in full independence. Yes, we celebrate independence from England. But what can happen is the pride of our own hearts can cause us to think we can act just freely however we want and just there's no consequences to that. And yet we see scripture holds us to a different standard. There is nothing that we can ever do and act that is outside of the decree of God. And some people will say, well, that's fatalistic. I mean, it's just a series of dominoes that God started one after another after another. But that's where we begin to see the difference. And as we saw in God's decree, this thing called second causes. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But I appreciated a comment that R.C. Sproul made. He said, if, if 
there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. If everything is not under the control of God, then there is no guarantee that God will fulfill his promises. We we can't have our cake and eat it too. We can't live in a state of thinking we are totally free to do whatever we want and then hold on to the promises of God. Do you see that conflict? And this is what the confession is helping us to, to see and to understand. And we can either turn and say, well, that's fatalistic, or we can look at it and see the blessing of it. For his decree fleshing itself out in the works of providence is even to the first fall. And it continues to say, and it extends itself to the sinful actions of angels and men. That in the infinite wisdom of God, in his plan, was the fall. Atheists and people who want to attack Christianity say, well, why would God create a man that could sin? And I believe we'll see the beauty of that as we understand that God's providence not just is fleshed out in, excuse me, that God's decree is not just fleshed out in his providence, but his providence orders second causes. So again, you have that flow chart. God's decree executes itself through God's providence. God's providence then orders second causes. We don't use that term, second causes, very often. What is a second cause? It's that which takes place in our own free will. Because God has decreed, He works through His providence, but the second cause is where we still remain culpable for our sin. We... Stand guilty. God is not guilty. God is not, as the confession says at the end of the paragraph, not the author of sin nor the approver of sin. Kind of, if you wanted to go back, I think it's session 18 or 19 on God's decree that we talk a little bit about this again. But sin proceeds from us as sinful man. God never forces us or does violence to our will so that he makes us do something contrary to what we desire. And that's the key. Our sinful flesh desires to do that which is wrong. God, in his providence, orders and gives the direction for our sin. James 1 helps us to very clearly see that in 1.13 and 14. says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, we, when he is drawn away by his own desires. That's that second cause, our desires. Our sin, our flesh are those desires. R.C. Sproul said, Yet the fact that evil exists in a universe governed by a perfectly holy God must mean that he has good purpose in mind. 
We see this in God's answer to the wickedness of Joseph's brothers. The brothers meant their deed for evil, but it was terribly and it was terribly evil, but it but God meant it for good and brought much good out of it. The second cause was Joseph's brothers. God's decree was to give a blessing to his people and to provide. His providence provided for them. His providence ordered the selling of Joseph into slavery. Romans 9, 14 says, What shall then we say? What shall we say then? Is, is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. In 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of this world. Again, that question is thrown. Well, if God is such a good God, why would he have created man with the ability to sin? If the... The argument then goes to say, well, if God created him with the ability to sin, then he can't be a good God. How many of you have a Ruger? A few of you. How many of you don't even know what a Ruger is? It's a gun manufacturer. Ruger makes guns. Ruger makes guns with the ability to shoot. Ruger makes guns with the capability to kill. Sadly, a murder takes place. Is Ruger guilty of murder? Sadly, we're living in a day and age where people are challenging that. They're challenging the manufacturer, saying the manufacturer's fault for this. But just because Ruger made something that has the ability, does that make Ruger a bad company? No. For that can be used for many good purposes. Ford makes cars. They make them with the capability to drive fast. Sadly, a crash happens and someone dies. Is Ford guilty of murder because they made the car with the ability to go fast? No. But it's the same argument with God. God created us with the ability to sin. That does not change his culpability. That does not change his goodness. It should never cause us to question why did God create us this way. I'm going to take an example to help us see God's decree executes through providence and it comes out through second causes through an example god decreed in eternity that on may 12 2015 john smith was to die that's the decree god decreed that he would die and as expected when may 12 2015 arrived john smith what he died and simple, we can, God decreed it and it happened. Because the decree of God always happens. We can see it as a simple cause and effect. But that equation 
is limited because we only see part of it. We're only seeing God's decree. It does not deal with all of the details because he didn't just die. There were causes that led to his death. Causes which are secondary over here. These causes follow logically, chronologically. Therefore, they're second. But even those are foreordained by God. The cause of John Smith's death, he was driving a car down a highway at 2.07 p.m. when a tree fell on the roadway and his vehicle was struck and John was killed instantly. As it turns out, the tree fell on the roadway because three years earlier, there was a thunderstorm. Lightning struck the tree, causing the tree to die. The tree then naturally started to rot until finally, three years later, fell over onto the roadway exactly on May 12th at 2.07 p.m. Upon learning the cause which led to John's death, his loved ones were overcome with a sense that John's death was the result of meaningless fate and random chance. Yet, theologically, we understand that that is not true. These events were explained as follows. By God's decree in eternity, John Smith was to die. That decree was carried out by his providence. That providence ordered the second causes. What were the second causes of his death? A thunderstorm. A thunderstorm having lightning which struck the tree. Another secondary cause or secondary cause was the rot of that. The tree falling. But even one of the secondary causes was John Smith driving a car. But what happens is the family then begins to understand that it is not just some random chance, but it is a sovereign God who was in order of all of those things. There is no chance. Whether this is a comfort to John's family or not, it depends on whether they have the faith to see the truth that this didn't happen by accident. We may not understand And we're not even promised in eternity how all that was working together for good. But we see that the truth is there. Again, those secondary causes brought about by God's providence because God decreed it to happen. It's not chance. But it's these secondary causes that bring about it Therefore, God is not guilty of sin. What was the secondary causes of Adam and Eve's sin? Okay, that's a that's a bad consequence of it, yeah. Okay, that's a, the consequence. Sin is the consequence. When when Eve looks at the fruit, what does she say? Or what what is uh, what's the text say? Okay, it looks good. It'll make me wise. Who else was there? The serpent was there. All of these are the secondary causes. So is God the one making them do that? 
He decreed that it would happen, but it's happening because of this over here. And that is how God is not guilty. But in his providence, it fleshed itself out. Satan himself does not even work outside of the providence of God. What had to happen when Job was tempted? God says, have you seen my servant Job? Even in our temptation, we see that. These things can often lead us to a crisis of faith saying, there's chance in this world, it, nothing makes sense. Or we can turn our eyes back and just say, this wasn't by accident. For some reason, it's in the decree of God. And we may not understand why, but then our prayer is no longer why or what in the world. It's help me have faith, God, in your decree to see your providence that fleshes itself out. And that is why Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. His decree executed through his providence, which orders the second causes. Again, you may say, why are we going back to these things? Because I've counseled a lot of crisis of faith here. Because we just say, this is just pure chance. This is, there's no meaning here. Well, we need to say, Lord, help my unbelief to understand what's going on here. And to trust that I know what you're doing is, is a good work for my good. It may not always be the comfortable thing, but it is for my good. And I know that this is not a happen chance thing. I was intending to cover more time or cover more paragraphs tonight. But then as I just began thinking more and more about that truth, I felt like we needed to sit on this a little bit more. Because we live over here. We live in the area where God's providence is working things out. And we need to keep saying, Lord, help my faith. Help me to trust you even when I don't see everything nor will we ever see all things. Let's pray, Lord. Like the man who spoke to Jesus and said, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, we confess often our, our flesh wants to doubt your ways. Lord, your word says, Lord, that the secret things belong to you. And Lord, we live under your providence, and we thank you for the care that is there, that everything happens and is ordered by your direction. We confess we don't always know why or how you're working things, but Lord, help us to believe. Help us to trust your ways, knowing that you work all things according to the counsel of your will. Thank you that, that nothing changes that, that that there is no chance in this world. Lord, help us to see these truths, to see how it's fleshed out in our lives. And in the end, strengthen our faith, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.